This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This is a podcast for parents or anybody helping raise kids, and I hope you get a little something from every episode that is useful in your life. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Prevenex. Prevenex is where I get all of my vitamins and supplements, vitamins for my children, and also protein powder, which we make delicious smoothies with every day in this house. Their vitamins at Prevenex are clinically effective and they promote longevity, performance, and everyday health. I spent years standing in Target looking at the vitamin aisle thinking, what company do I buy from? What vitamins are actually good? What vitamins work? And I'm so excited to have finally found Prevenex because I believe in their mission and I've actually interviewed the founder of Prevenex, so I feel very strongly about the quality of their products and also the work they're doing. For every bottle of Supervites, that's their kids' chewable multivitamin that you buy, they donate a bottle to kids around the world who don't have access to the vitamins that our kids have access to. So a great give back model and you can even get a subscription plan so that the vitamins that you purchase can just get delivered monthly so you don't even have to think about it, you don't run out. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code Lindsay15, that's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-1-5 for 15% off your order. All right, this episode today, you're listening to episode 51, and my guest is Sarah Boyd. She is the founder of Resilient Little Hearts, which is a children's book series that teaches resilience and emotional health. Their best-selling book is called The Boy Who Stood Up Tall, and Sarah has tons of parenting resources. Sarah is a psychologist and works in neuroleadership, and in this episode, we talk about teaching kids to navigate difficult emotions, raising sensitive kids, what is courage, and ultimately raising kids to help give them the skills they need to succeed in their future. I took a lot from this episode myself and thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. I hope you will too. And if you do enjoy the conversation, leave us a quick rating and review to let us know what you think. That helps potential new listeners find the show. All right. Enjoy my conversation with Sarah. Today on Why Is Everyone Yelling? We have Sarah Boyd on the show. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. I'm excited. Sarah, where do you live? Okay, so you can probably hear from my accent. <laughs> I'm Australian. <laughs> so uh, born and raised in Australia, uh, Sydney, Australia. But my husband and I and our family, two young children, we relocated here to the USA four years ago. And we now live in Southern California in Orange County. So um, we... You know, we left sunny skies, but we do we do still have sunny skies, <laughs> which has been good. Yes. What what brought you to Southern California? Uh, so my husband and I have run a separate business to what I also do. Um, and so it's in the personal development space. And so we moved the business over to expand it into the States. 
Is he from the United States? No, we're both from Australia. Oh, wow. Do you miss your family so much? Yes, miss lots of people very much. Miss just culture and just the familiarity. I think wherever you got brought up, there's something really calming about returning and, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, love Australia. Okay, I've just moved 10 hours from home, which for you, that's probably like, you're probably like, oh, you just moved down the street, you know? No, it's still a massive move. As soon as you move anywhere, I feel like where any, like stuff changes, you know, where schools change or your your general grocery store changes and all that sort of stuff, it's still just as big a move. So before we dive into like the topic of the day, I guess I just need to be a little bit selfish here and ask you for some thoughts and advice on moving. Everybody tells me you got to give it two or three years to really feel settled and like you're home and we're just yeah. two months in. So, you know, uh, yeah. so what advice do you have? So, um, <laughs> lots of little tips. Um, I definitely feel like it does take a couple of years to fully feel like it's home, but I feel like there's lots of stuff you can do. Uh, one of the things that we prioritized really early on was setting up our home and especially our kids' bedrooms and just like creating that sense of normality for everyone in the house. I mean, for us, when we moved, we had nothing. Like I didn't even have cutlery. (laughs) The girls at the checkout at Target thought I was hilarious because I was (laughs) like buying the whole store. But I think too, just finding your general things that our community is really big when you move. I think whether you're involved in a church community or sports community or organizations, like finding your footing there. Uh, makes a big difference to how you kind of reacclimatize to the new space. I resonate with that so much because I have been uh, buying some furniture. Like there were just certain things that didn't make sense in this house and the rooms or some bedrooms are smaller here and I'm buying new bedroom furniture and I'm like, I feel like I'm wasting all this time searching for furniture. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And my husband's like, it's not a waste. Like we need furniture for our house and it's going to make it feel more like home, but it still feels like a waste of time. I know. And I don't know about you, but it it just, it sometimes just feels like, um, I, I I often got to the point where I felt like this has become a full-time job. Just trying to set up the house feels like just a full-time job, but I kind of operate better personally when stuff's organized and, and whatever. So I thought I even took some, a bit of time off work and some commitments so that I can just get it sorted because I just knew I personally operated from a more calm, (laughs) nicer place to everyone. (laughs) Yeah. I love that too, because it's like, it feels sort of like frivolous and silly. Like, Oh, you have, you don't have to act actually worry about that. But if you think about it in the way that you can work better, you can parent better, you can be a better member of your community. If your space is peaceful and and put together, then it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I just feel like that's, that's the space that you enter the world from, you know, it's the space that you, you know, and for children, especially like moving can be very unsettling. And so setting up home is actually one of the best things you can do to even just emotionally help that transition for them because their physical space has such a big like influence on how they're feeling. So I I don't think it's frivolous at all. It feels like it. And I think sometimes as women, we're our own worst enemy. Like we tell ourselves all this sort of stuff, but in actual fact, we're creating an environment for other, for ourselves and other, and our family to thrive. 
All right, guys, I'm taking the week off next week. Bye. We'll see <laughs> you next. It. We'll see Do you it. next week. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Sarah, we're talking about kids and their emotional health today. So that's yeah. a great transition from talking about having setting up this environment in the house. But um, Sarah, can you just share a little bit about your background story and how you became passionate about children and emotional well-being? Yeah, so my background is in psychology. I, I studied psychology at university and um, had the opportunity to go on and, uh, you know, become a clinical psychologist, but I never really felt like that was what I wanted to do. I was very passionate about just educating people with the general understanding of, I just felt like there was so much understanding and knowledge in the psychological field, but it was kind of at that time, especially, you know, we're talking a decade ago, uh, very much only understood by people who were in the clinical psych. So I was very passionate about, you know, sharing kind of tips and stuff that would work. And then just over the years, worked in different leadership environments um, and started teaching resilience as a topic in corporate um, training, we would go in and, and my husband and I would run corporate training in resilient workshops. And I just had many adults in their 30s and 40s and 50s and even 60s kind of finish the work workshop in tears saying, I just wish I knew this information when I was younger because it was just so life transforming. I think sometimes what you think is basic information, you forget, not basic, but you just forget that it's very new to a lot of people. And that really affected me. I think sometimes we underestimate our own expertise or our own um, understanding of how the world works. And, and it really impacted me that sharing those stories and those tips and stuff really impacted people. Um, and then I got diagnosed with cancer at, when I was 27 years old. And um, that was very kind of life transforming or changing for me um, and very confronting and it made me really think about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life and I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer and um, I was very very lucky and blessed and after 18 months of treatment you know I was all cleared and given the, the uh, kind of they never call it cured but I was given you know the green light and not not as soon as we were allowed with all the treatment, we fell pregnant with our first child. And so it was this culmination of events over a couple of years. I think becoming a mother, like for many people, is just like a life, it was a life-defining moment for me. And including all the stuff that I had been going through, realized that, you know, my children are growing up in a very different world than I grew up in, than we grew up in. And there is more choice, more complexity, there is more stimulation, there is more pressure in many ways. And I realized from my own personal experience, you know, I got diagnosed from cancer, there was no cause, like I didn't do something to get that, that most of the adversity that happens in our life isn't necessarily a, a reflection or an effect of our own actions. Like sometimes things just happen. And I realized that one of the most important skills or, or characteristics that I really wanted to develop and nurture in my children was resilience and emotional health. And I think it just culminated my background, my psychology. Uh, then I, I had forgotten that story. I went on and got a master's of educational psychology and a diploma of neuroscience of leadership. So I, I had the study side, but I think it was the very real life experience of going through very dark times and having to wrestle with hard feelings and confronting feelings 
uh, and becoming also a mother. And just I think there's something innate in being a mum that you just want to help build your children and help cultivate them so that they have a stronger start in life. You know, one of the things I wrote down from uh, something I read that you wrote was there's a difference between believing our emotions and recognize we are mm. recognizing that we are experiencing those emotions. And man, I struggle with that. It's yeah. like you can feel something, but you don't have to be that feeling and figuring out how to navigate that as an adult is really hard. I mm. imagine teaching that to our children will positively affect them when they are our age. A hundred percent. And I think there's been a huge like increase in mental health awareness over the past few years. You know, these conversations, people even on social media and stuff are becoming more aware of it. There is this idea in psychology and it's called metacognition, which is a person's ability to reflect or observe their own thoughts and emotions. And so it's, you know, your ability to kind of step outside yourself and notice, hey, my, my brain is thinking this or my feelings are feeling this. And all the research and studies show that metacognition is one of the key skills in order to regulate your um, emotional stress system and also just develop that emotional health. And so one of the things that we can do early on with children is just depersonalize the thoughts they're thinking and the feelings they're feeling. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but you can go into a very dark place very quickly if you just start believing every single thing that you think, mm -hmm. as opposed to being able to step back and say, oh, my brain's going a bit crazy at the moment, or this situation has triggered this. It gives you that ability to reflect and kind of respond rather than feel in total reaction all the time to your emotions. Because that's so exhausting. Yes. To constantly be in reaction mode. You know, when my, when my kids freak out about something, I try to say, I understand that you feel that way and it's okay to feel that way. But I, I try to walk them like outside of that, like outside yeah. of, of, you know, here's a, here's a small example. <laughs> this morning I was going to, uh, run with a jogging stroller to take my two little ones to school and like drop the big boys off on their bikes at their school. And the jogging stroller, the tire was messed up. My husband tried to fix it. We couldn't do it. Anyway, my son was so mad that we couldn't take the stroller. He wanted to be in the stroller so bad, but we had to take the car and I was disappointed too. I wanted to take the stroller. So I tried so hard to be like, okay, he's screaming. He's freaking out. That doesn't mean you need to yell at him and freak out. But I just tried to say like, dude, I get it. Like I'm disappointed too, you know? So anyway, that's kind of like, that's not a super yeah. like deep emotional, like fear-based thing, but it's just no, it's, a but piece. It's a very normal thing that happens in the daily life of parenting and happens about a hundred times a day. <laughs> Yes, and I and I think this is the thing that's kind of hard to under like to um it, like what you said it is a challenge to teach children because we are we're trying to cultivate a skill in them that they'll have in adulthood but developmentally especially younger children don't have the neurological capacity to control their emotions and so the prefrontal cortex which is the part in our brain that um kind of talks us through not reacting or not 
um, it's really the place where metacognition is. It's the place that helps us calm down. It's the place that helps us, you know, you feel road rage in traffic and you don't, you know, <laughs> crash the car or something like that. So it's, a, it's the part of the brain that controls all of those things. That is the last part of the brain to fully come into development. And it doesn't really fully develop until 25 years of age. And so you've got little children, particularly children under the age of seven, who every single thing they feel they're going to express. And that's normal, that's healthy. It, it's why parenting is so challenging and the day in and days out is exhausting at times. But it, it's not, them expressing those emotions is not A, a reflection of bad parenting or B, not a reflection that they're not like learning skills over time because we just teach them little by little by exactly your response to them this morning. And it doesn't have to be, perfect responses all the time but enough of like training responses so that over time we're actually saying hey how are your feelings okay you know what what could we here's the situation and let's learn how to deal with it and that kind of training over time is what will build that emotional health I think one of the key things in childhood um, and this is like more of a tactical kind of tip for parents uh, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and think that it's all about our responses all the time. But if you have created a family that is a safe enough, healthy enough, loving enough, not perfect environment, you've kind of ticked that box in terms of creating a foundation for your child. One of the biggest skills that we that will help them in their future is what's called emotional literacy which is their capacity to recognize an emotion and name different emotions. So, and we're getting really, I think, a lot better at this as a kind of a culture of saying, hey, like smiley face is happy and sad, and sad face is sad. And are you feeling angry right now? Or even, you know, mummy um, was feeling frustrated and that's why I did, you know, that's why I needed some deep breathing. <laughs> in a room by myself <laughs> um, and just that constant like talking to them about what emotions are what it does is it sets them up into an environment and a, and a kind of understanding that's normal to talk about emotions it's normal to feel emotions and so when that they're feeling them into their future or even if they do have challenges with emotional health or mental health they're able to at least have the skill to name it and to talk about it and because previous generations didn't have that, they didn't talk about feelings, they didn't a lot of times wouldn't even be able to tell you what they were feeling. And so that emotional literacy piece is one of the key components for children. You know, it's one of those things that I struggle with so much is when my kid is having a freak out moment and he's treating me disrespectfully in front of somebody else. Yes. And I suddenly feel so embarrassed because I'm like, oh, they're going to think I don't have control over my family or like I'm not disciplining well or whatever. And it, I mean, I've talked about this a lot. I've tried to overcome that. And also, like never judge a parent in the way they parent based on the emotions and like the anger or whatever feelings your a kid is putting out. Even if they're hitting their parent, like don't you can't judge that parent. I 100% agree and I just think that there are so many uh, children who have additional needs. There are so many seasons you go through with children. Children, they, children express big emotions they have through their behaviour. So in the younger years, it's tantrums and meltdowns. 
um, especially with two to three-year-olds, hitting is actually very normal developmentally at that age. Um, as they get older, it's the back talk and the kind of disrespectful talking. And so I very much take an approach of there needs to be boundaries. We need to teach our children boundaries 100% and consequences because sometimes when I talk about this, parents say to me, are you saying that, you know, there should be no, not at all. <laughs> there needs to be boundaries and consequences and the thing is, the most important thing is our connection with our child and them having someone in their world that they can actually talk to. And so when these big emotions are coming out and the hitting or the disrespect or that sort of stuff, I'm always wondering what's behind it. Because typically, depending on the age of the, the child, there's something going on. They're really, really tired and haven't had a snack and need to be put to bed. Or they went to school and they they didn't have anyone to play with or someone teased or bullied them. And that doesn't negate think, saying that their behaviour is okay, but if you only ever deal with behaviour and you just look at are they well-behaved or not well-behaved, what you're doing is not creating um, a space for them to talk about feelings and talk about different things that they're having. And so what you begin to find is as they move into the adolescent years, um, they're just in kind of a shutdown and the behavior just escalates. So I 100% agree with you. I don't think, I think I hate the culture of judgment in parenting. It's one of my biggest commitments when I started our community is I never want it to be shaming for parents because there's enough of that out there. And I just know as a mum myself, you know, I've got a eight-year-old and a six-year-old. When you you put enough pressure on your own self, you feel guilty enough in your own self of wanting to do the right thing, you don't need someone else saying that to you either. And never judge a parent in a moment because you don't know what's happened all morning or all night. You don't know how much sleep everyone's got. You don't know what they're dealing with in their home life. I think the reflection of healthy homes can really only see be seen generationally and decades later because sometimes you have children who they are they feel so comfortable and so connected with their parents that they're more likely to express their emotions and be a bit rambunctious and i personally think that's better than being fully shut down from their parents i don't know if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no i i'm curious about um let's talk about the fear thing because this is something that you walked through like whew, you walked through it did you learn these techniques like the recognizing the fear and recognizing I feel these things but I'm not these things kind of situation you were already practicing psychology before that right so yeah. how did you walk yourself through that uh, during cancer and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I it was something that there were skills that I was aware of and kind of knew on a kind of cognitive basis before. Um, I think the benefit that I had with cancer is that I wasn't a mum yet in the sense of like I had time to myself so sure. <laughs> I could <laughs> journal and, you know, talk, you know, with my husband and with my friends about how I was feeling and become aware of that. I think one of the challenges with parenting is it's so overwhelming. And so, um, you know, if you're a parent listening and you, you're just kind of coming into understanding this kind of world, I do think it is challenging when you're in the overwhelm of day to day because you are 
desperately trying to respond rather than react to your ch- children's behaviour, yet at the same time it's it can be very triggering. Um, so yeah, if that answers your question. <laughs> and how do you how do you then take what you what you already knew before you walked through that, um, and what you know now with your parenting? If one of your like I have I have one child in particular that the fear thing is just it's just way bigger than my other kids at this point. As in they are experiencing the fear? Yeah, like so yeah. here here's an example. We'll all be out on a boat together and mm-hmm. the waves get really rocky. I have one kid that that fear just takes over him and he yep. cries and he's so scared. Um, we were at the lake the other day and it, it took him about 45 minutes to like get out into the lake after the other kids were already out there because he was fearful of like what, what was in the lake. So just things like that. Um, So I'm just curious, like how do you talk to a child like that who experiences fear on a deeper level than probably the average child? Yeah. So I think the first thing is to probably um, just as the parent to kind of recognize that they are feeling very real fear. So sometimes we compare the situation they're afraid of to what, how we would feel. Like we look at that for example, in that example and say, well, it's just, of course it's safe. There's a boat or we'll be with you or whatever, but they, they are viscerally feeling fear similar to if you were in whatever scary situation you feel in. So I think that empathy is important in the way that we approach a child uh, like that. I, I do think that it's important to see it in context. Is it just a specific situation that is always triggering for the child? Like, is it just on the water, but in other situations, are they fine? Then you're kind of dealing with like a situational fear. But if you're dealing with a child who becomes overly responsive like that to almost all situations, and that that is a different approach. And you've probably got a child with either a high sensitivity personality temperament or sensory processing sensitivities, sensory processing disorder. They might have anxiety. They might have ADHD. And I'm not saying this for your child in particular, but I just, when there is a general response to life like that, there is typically more going on in the way that they are receive, like inputting the world. So taking the concept of a child with high sensitive personality temperament, these children, um, they actually neurologically experience the world more intensely than the rest of us. They are also more prone to anxiety and fear. Um, They often are very need times to decompress and quietness. And if they don't get that, if we keep pushing and pushing and pushing them with activities and hot days and, you know, lots of loud noises, they'll end up hitting a tipping point that it doesn't matter what the situation is, they'll tip over and and then we're left thinking, well, it's just a normal day. And so really understanding what's going on with your specific child can really help with how to actually respond. And if it's in that specific situation, if um, if it's just a situation, uh, I typically use similar to what psychologists use to treat phobias, which is like stepping them through, um, you know, you don't, you you need to be able to hold both sides. You don't want to fully force them in without acknowledging their feelings and just throwing them in the deep end, because sometimes that can be 
more traumatizing and then they'll never get in the boat again. <laughs> but at the same time, if you always allow your child to walk away from the thing that's scaring them, you're actually feeding the anxiety that they have. And, you know, our deepest desire as parents is to love our children and keep them safe. But if you if you let them off the hook all the time, it just feeds anxiety. And so it's really about stepping them through, hey, do you just want to slow this process down? Do you want mummy to hold your hand? Would you feel better if we, you know, got in on this side of the lake rather than that side of the lake? And actually, like, kind of building scaffolding around what could support them to do the thing that you want to do. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not it's not a lot of work for the parent, but then you, you'll begin to see that the child will trust you to kind of scaffold them through those situations. It's so interesting because anytime we do things or go out, like we were just at... Um, my son's soccer game on Sunday, and this is the son I'm talking about. And like, he gets in the car, he's beat red and he worked really hard and he was great, but he's like, I cannot wait to just lay on the couch and not do anything. And it's like, yes. he, he seems to always do that and, and feel that way, which is so interesting to me because he's such an active kid, but he is always craving that like quiet. I just want to lay down on the couch time. Yeah. Well, I think that could be, you know, a sign that he's introverted. It also, you know, it depends on the other characteristics. So high sensitivity personality is they tend to be more, they can be extroverted or introverted, but they tend to be very deep thinkers about how the world works. At four years old, they're asking like how the world was, you know, made and what's the meaning of life. And um, you're having very deep, intense conversations with them. They tend to be very empathetic, like beautiful kids, tender hearted, um, like creative, quite smart. And so if that's the case, then th that high sensitivity, they need major decompression time or they just have a lot of meltdowns. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Hey friends, a quick break to thank Prevenex for supporting this episode of the podcast. Look no further than Prevenex if you are looking for a place to find your multivitamins and supplements. They have tons of supplements, probiotics, cardiovascular health, joint supplements, and they also have protein powder and kids vitamins as well. You can just get these things on a subscription plan so they are mailed to your door. You don't have to think about it. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code Lindsay15 for 15% off your order. And know that when you support a sponsor of this podcast, you are directly supporting the show. So for that, I thank you. Okay, back to the show. Okay, so one of the things I wrote down when I was, was researching for this interview was our biggest hope for our kids is that they will live a meaningful life. Mm. So I'm curious your thoughts on raising kids you know, it's like sometimes I feel like I'm trying to be way too serious with my kids because I have that end game in my head and I'm like, I just want to make sure like they give back and, and they're good mm. people and all these things like, and they don't just live for themselves when they grow up. Um, but kids are so, they don't, they can't process that big <laughs> picture. So I'm just curious, like how you navigate that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a good question. So far. Um, I think meaningful, I think it's important to define what that means for you. For me, it's really important that they uh, are not getting caught up in like a competitive, just chasing things that don't matter. I think um, values-based parenting is really important and what you value as a family 
that speaks more to a child. It, it, the environment that they're in speaks more than whether you just talk to them about certain things at certain times, but who you are. You know, we as a family, I know you mentioned sports a lot, we as a family are involved in sports. We as a family are involved in the community and, you know, exercising our body is really important to us as a family. They're learning that from being around you. Um, For other people, it's like, you know, whether it's a school community or they're involved in their church community, it's this feeling of like one of my concerns with where some of the culture is going is it's becoming so hyperly competitive at a childhood level. So, you know, I don't know what it was like for you, but I grew up in a generation that was like, you know, the 80s. (laughs) And childhood was childhood. And then towards the end of, um, you know, your schooling, it starts to get much more pressured. And then you kind of enter the world and then you can decide whether you want to get into a really competitive field or even sports that were competitive, they really didn't feel this um, intensity. When my son, who's in third grade now, when we were first looking at schools nearby, we toured a school near us and they said, oh, this is, kinder- this is for kindergarten. Kindergarten has like a leadership training program. And I was like, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't care if my son is trained in leadership. Uh, Like I just want him to make friends and learn how to respect his teacher and start to learn to read and write. Like that would be great. Um, And I think that that's more what I, what I speak to is like that because we all know as adults, like that stuff, you know, it doesn't matter as much, but I think we are putting a lot of pressure on our children as a general society um, of like performance and stuff. That's so funny. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting too. I oftentimes say to my oldest, a lot of times because he is the oldest, I'm like, you need to be a leader. And we talk about what a leader is, but the fact that they presented a course for leadership no, I for know. your kindergartner. I did, we do the same thing. We, we have like little affirmations they say every morning and one of them's like, I'm a leader and I whatever. But I definitely am not into leadership training <laughs> programs for kindergartners. <laughs> what are the other <laughs> affirmations that you say? Um, so we do some that are more for their personalities. So okay. like I'm, I'm smart and creative, uh, funny and full of joy. I have a kind heart for others. Um, I always, we have one on there. Mum and dad love me very much. They're proud of me. Um, God has a special plan for my life. Today will be a great day. So I do affirmations with my kids at night before bed. Oh, that's beautiful. We do a little prayer, then we do that, and then we sing peace like a river. But I think doing them in the morning makes a lot of sense because it's like, like you said, you're in your home and that's where you prepare to go out into the world for the day. And that's what you're doing in the morning, the night. I mean, I guess I do them at night so they go to sleep with happy, like, positive thoughts but yeah. the morning makes a lot of sense honestly any any time is good morning works really well for us um we have like the morning routine up on the board and part of their like finishing their morning routine is they have to do they get a we're still in sticker charts they they do so part of their doing their affirmations say is the end of their morning routine and it is it's it's definitely something Um, you know, one of my children in particular can be very hard on themselves, um, especially sometimes makes up more things in their head about what people think of them than the actual situation. And so wanting to set that in the morning is really important. I have always wanted to do sticker charts and check off the morning routine. In nine years, I cannot, (laughs) 
I can't get it together. Honestly, I don't think it's something that like you have to do. I think if it works for you, awesome. For me, it's life because if we didn't have them, my children would not get ready. Um, but if if you're able to do that, all power to you. I wish I could get rid of the sticker chart. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not it's it's hectic. I think that it would help. I yes. just cannot get myself organized. I mean, I know it's just a piece of paper with some stickers. <laughs> yeah. It's like we, I, we've had to scaffold quite a lot of like tasks for, for my son. And so part of that was like having routines and that sort of stuff to kind of know what's happening. I mean, part of what, one of the things that we put together as part of Resilient Little Hearts, which is the kind of company that I run is we've got a free download of visual routine charts because it just kind of, all those sorts of things help children kind of know what's coming and mark it off and feel good that they've accomplished something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Tell us about Resilient Little Hearts. Yeah. So I started Resilient Little Hearts uh, maybe three years ago now. Um, I wrote a, my first children's book called The Boy Who Stood Up Tall and kind of started just the Instagram account and and it's kind of blew up uh, bigger than I thought it would be. I originally just started it. The mission of Resilient Little Hearts is we want to create educational resources for parents and children to help promote resilience and emotional health. And so we've got children's books and we've got resources for parents there. Um, but, yeah, just as I kind of started sharing parenting stuff online, it kind of has grown pretty quickly as well. So, yeah, that's where we kind of share uh, tactical tips as well as kind of a philosophy of how to approach parenting. Tell us about the book, The Boy Who Stood Tall, right? Yeah, The Boy Who Stood Up Tall. Stood it up is, tall. Yeah, it's a children's book, picture storybook for ages about four to eight. Um, it's really a story about teaching children how to stand up to fear. Um, it's particularly written for highly sensitive children to kind of validate the experience that they're having, having and it kind of teaches a couple of skills of uh, naming emotions, uh, taught, like learning how to actually, how important it is to stand up to our fears and not just run away from them all the time. Um, it also teaches them power posing, which is a physical stance that children can use that changes hormonally their testosterone and helps them feel calm and confident when they're scared. But it's, it's written as a children's book. So it's a story about a little boy who is scared of a thunderstorm and kind of learns how to stand up to it and grows bigger than his fears. Um, tell me more about this power pose. Okay, so the power pose is very similar to a Superman or Wonder Woman kind of stance, the hands on hips, feet wide. And so um, a lot of this research has only really been shared for adults because it was found, you know, in corporate settings or whatever when you're feeling a lot of anxiety but you need to perform. Um, standing in this power pose for two minutes can significantly decrease the stress response in the body and increase hormonally how you feel calm and confident for hours later. So, you know, a lot of times they were talking to people who were working in jobs or performance situations and they're saying, just go find yourself in a, you know, lock yourself in a bathroom cubicle somewhere because it might be weird to do it <laughs> and stand in this power pose. And so it's one of the things that you can do with your children to kind of let's be Superman for a few minutes. You can put a timer on or put a song on. And it, it really does help um, center them and helps like change their internal chemistry because, you know, similarly probably to how you know with sports, exercise, all that kind of movement stuff changes the way that we feel. And so using all these different kind of strategies helps 
to kind of combat everything from every angle. I love that. Okay, lastly, let's just touch on courage a little bit and um, just can you define what that is and how we teach our kids to be courageous? Yeah. So courage, courage cannot be like to quote a well-known quote, the absence of fear, because sometimes we praise children for being courageous when they do something, but they're not, they weren't actually afraid of it. Um, They're just, you know, confident and boisterous and they're just naturally that way. Courage for courage to exist, there has to be fear. And so it's important for us to recognize and really just identify and recognize moments with our children when they are showing courage, when they were scared to play in the sports game and they still did it, when they um, were scared to read aloud at school and they still did it. Um, because what courage is, is is the decision to do the thing that you were scared of. And so the way that we can cultivate that in our children is, number one, is modeling it ourselves and, you know, living a life where we're actually having courage and sometimes we think that means you know doing this crazy outrageous thing but sometimes it can be you know starting a podcast or actually you know starting that parents group that you wanted to get together with or just something that you know reaching out and introducing yourself to a new person you're kind of showing courage in those small moments so modeling it another big thing is acknowledging it in your children when they've done it um and, and in part of that acknowledgement is rewarding it. You know, we, my, um, one of my children was very kind of uh, nervous to be on stage at like the end of school presentation, you know, that, that one that they have to do, which I think is super cute. Mm-hmm. Those, those moments he loved being a parent. Um, but they did it anyway. And when, when they came off the stage, my husband and I were like, you're amazing because, you know, you showed courage and, you know, they rolled their eyes. I know, I know. Courage. <laughs> we say it so much. But I think just acknowledging that, you know, because children who typically struggle with fear compare themselves to people, to other children who are just naturally more confident. And so I think cultivating that characteristic is really acknowledging when they do take steps, even if they seem small. Um, that's the other thing. So if the, the, the big thing that they're scared of, maybe they haven't accomplished that yet, but have they taken steps towards it, celebrating those steps as well? I am just like, <laughs> I'm thinking about when my second son was in uh, pre-K and they did a performance like that. Yeah. <laughs> and he just stood like right behind someone and put his head down and looked away the entire time. And we just, I mean, we laughed and laughed, but I mean, he was clearly very anxious about being up there, you know, and I don't remember how we responded. I think that my, I had like a new baby and then a two-year-old and I was probably just like, ah, it is what it is. But uh, looking back, I'm like, man, that was courageous. He didn't have to go stand on that stage. I mean, I feel like I kind of forced him to go up there, but you know, he wasn't (laughs) kicking and screaming. He just didn't want to. Yeah, but I think that's good. I mean, like I said before, you you don't want to remove just because they're scared isn't a sign that you should say, okay, you don't have to do it then. Um, but yeah, I I, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love a school presentation? <laughs> I know, and we're missing them. We're missing them. We haven't had them in so long. I know. I know. You almost forget, and they're so darn cute. They're uh, the cutest ever. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um. Okay. 
Well, this this has been so great. And I'm going to pick up the book. I'm only a little bit sad that I didn't order it before this conversation. A good interviewer would have prepared in a way that she bought the book first. You're totally fine. (laughs) I think my kids would love it. And you have a you have a copy that's like beautiful that look would be nice for display. Yeah, so we have, you can get the paperback copy on just Amazon or uh, wherever books are sold, but we also have a special edition that we sell from our online shop. Uh, We only ship to USA, but it's free shipping within USA. Um, And so if you just go to our website, resilientlittlehearts.com, you can click on the shop, um, you can click on links to Amazon, and there's also a whole heap of free resources. We also have an ebook for parents called Brave um, that really talks if you've got a child who's really struggling with fear, um, who might be highly sensitive or struggles with anxiety, it, it walks you through step by step how to support them and help them with that. Okay, so what is your big dream goal for Resilient Little Hearts? My big dream goal is to create uh, a lot of resources, like a lot of children's books, a lot of parenting, whether it's courses or books, I feel like uh, to support parents, teachers, like anyone working with children, anyone who's raising children uh, to help support them. Uh, one, because I want to take, I believe like our children are our next generation and I want them to be strong and looked after. And also from the parents' perspective, it can be a very lonely and challenging experience when you have a complex child that you just don't know what to do with and it affects your really your whole life because they, they're a massive part of your heart and so we want to come alongside families like that and support them. And if you do feel that way, I just I cannot tell you how many times I just throw my hands in the air and I'm like, I literally don't know what to do. I yeah. do not know what to do in this situation. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very real. And especially if you're, you know, you're, you're navigating or raising children who might have differences, not not even necessarily special needs, but they just don't fit into the box or they're not your personality. It, it's a very like, who, who taught us? Did we get, no one gave us classes in how to manage all of this. And so, yeah, that's, that's our dream is to come alongside families and support them. It's like finding this balance between like, okay, people have been doing this for thousands of years, raising kids. So this balance of like, we can figure this out, but also we have the resources now, so why not utilize them and how to find that yeah. like middle ground? Yeah, I do I do think in general, like we, we're very hard on ourselves as parents. I, I think that majority of parents are doing a far better job than they think that they are. And I think the difference is as opposed to maybe a work environment or a sports environment, there's no one coming in at the end of the day saying, hey, do you know what? You did an amazing job today. You know when that child yelled at you and you didn't talk back or you didn't, you know, you know, lose your temper 50 times and, you know, you did an amazing job. We don't have that. And so it's so anonymous and it's so like we're the one, our worst critic that way. And I think it's like, a lot of times what parents need the most is just some encouragement. I cannot, that speaks to me so much. I cannot tell you like, you know, my husband works from home now. So ever since COVID and now he still does. So it's changed a lot. Like the dynamic of like how much he's physically available for the kids, like randomly, like this interview, for instance, our little two get picked up from preschool at one and he's home. So he's able to go pick them up and get them set up and, you know, whatever they're watching TV. Okay, everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, 
there were so many years there, six, six, seven years really, where I was primarily the part-time working, part-time stay-at-home mom. And like that's, and I worked for myself. So I yes. just felt like I have nobody to like share in this with. You don't have, like you said, you don't have bosses, you don't have teammates, you don't have coworkers. And yeah, yes. my husband's my teammate, but if he's not here all day, it's just not the same. So um, yeah. if you are feeling that and you are listening to this podcast, you're doing a good job. You're doing a great job. And if you um, are in a position where you're parenting with someone, like you're married or your partner and you're doing it together, this is a little trick that my husband and I started this last year is the person, because we're in the exactly same position, we both work from home. And so with COVID, our children were home and we we're managing homeschooling. Whoever was with the children, the other person would come in and didn't even know what had happened and would just do a little pep talk. You're an amazing person. You did an incredible job. Like it was just, and it's just amazing when someone's actually verbally saying that to you where you're like, oh, okay, yes, I'm all right. And so if you've got that, just I would just encourage husbands, wives, partners, whatever it is, just like tell them they're doing a good job because even if they don't know what's happened, you're just at the end of the day or an end of an hour not feeling great. So everyone, you are doing an incredible job. I love that. I don't know if I can get my husband to buy in on that because I feel like he'll (laughs) think it's corny, but I think it's amazing. He's just very like, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but like he's just very much like kind of like it is what it is kind of guy, you know? Yeah. Um, Maybe you need to do it with a girlfriend or something. That's or what voice I was going to say. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that too and go be that friend to someone else. Like it yeah. always feels so good when your friend will randomly say to you like, you're, I just want you to know that I think you're doing a really good job. Like it might feel so small to send that text, but like it'll mean so much to the person you send it to. Yeah, it means a huge amount. And when you think about when someone's thoughtful like to you like that, it changes your whole day. And especially when you're in a season where maybe there's one particular of your children or even just COVID was just one of those seasons, or still is one of those seasons. It's just like parents are tired. They are the most exhausted I think I've seen people. And to do anything and to show up in a great place when you're exhausted. And that's why, you know, one of the things that I talk about is like, you're not, you're not a bad parent. You're just tired. Like you just need to go and have a sleep and some quiet time to yourself. And you'll, you'll show up in a completely different person the next day. Just go have a good cry. Yeah. Go have a cry. <laughs> Buy yourself a bunch of flowers and a coffee. And <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, okay, Sarah. Well, what, what is one thing professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Well, I'm going to cheat on this one. I've done a little bit of it, but I, I want to do more traveling, which is like I probably everyone's answer since COVID. <laughs> but um, I would love to do Europe a bit more. Is there anywhere big, small trip that you've taken with your kids um, that you would recommend other people do as a family? Yeah, we've traveled quite a lot with our kids, actually. We've traveled sometimes for work. Um, when they're younger, I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest, even though we did it, traveling to see lots of places. So <laughs> Anywhere hard. that I feel like we've been, we've seen Mexico when we're in Australia, Fiji, but basically anywhere where you travel to one place and kind of stay around that area, <laughs> <laughs> that works great with younger kids. So yeah, I would say Mexico or Fiji. Um, I mean, we're lucky we're in California. So, you know, my kids have obviously done Disneyland and Legoland and all that sort of stuff that they love. So Disneyland is one of those things where it's like, 
I think I want to do the whole Disney thing like one time, you know, when they're all at an okay age, but definitely not something where I want to do over and over again because there's just so many other things to see and do in this world. Yes. No. And to be honest, my kids didn't even like, we've only been once, even though we live not very far away and they didn't love it. So yeah, as much as I thought that they would. (laughs) You know, when, when my oldest was, I don't know, I guess he was probably three and a half in my, and then we had like a eight, 16 month old or something like that. We went for like, I don't know, a day, one day just to like kind of do the little magic kingdom area. Um, and it wasn't anything big deal. They won't remember it, but we were already going to be in Florida and we had an extra day and we're like, well, let's just pop over there. I just don't know if we'll do it again. No, I don't know. You know? Yeah. It's not something that I would jump at doing again personally. Um, okay. What is, uh, the best, most recent book you've read? Um, the most recent one I've read, which I, which I've read before is called the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. It's just, he really talks about um, the culture of hurry and how fast a pace that we run as a society. And basically the premise of the book is you can't be emotionally healthy if you are constantly running at a fast pace. So that's a really good book. Oh, that sounds good. Okay. Um, The Boy Who Stood Tall, Stood Up Tall. Stood Up Tall, yeah. Do you have any other kids' books you recommend? Uh, Yes. Uh, Yes, Shamelessly My Own, which is The Boy Who Stood Tall. Yes. Um, At at the moment, honestly, we are a massive um, Winnie the Pooh and Paddington Bear, like, family. We are rereading those chapter books all the time. So I would say that. And also my daughter, there's this little – book called the the little book of fairies which basically it's all you know there are fairies living in your garden or whatever but she loves that book and she's six so I'd recommend that okay and then what is your last message to leave with our audience today just that you are doing a far better job than you think you are and that if there was someone who could you know if I could come alongside people and take you out for coffee and and acknowledge all those small moments that you've, you know, held your tongue when you didn't want to or, you know, sacrificed your own sleep and, and whatever for your children. You're doing a far better job than you think you are. And it's, and it's going to, the investment that you make in a child's life today is going to make a difference for their future. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, friends, thanks for being here today. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show. You all can learn more about Sarah and Resilient Little Hearts if you just find them on Instagram, Resilient Little Hearts. They have a great account over there, and Sarah is Sarah Boyd on Instagram. I would recommend checking out The Boy Who Stood Up Tall. I'm going to order it for my kids. Kind of surprised I haven't already done that myself. Uh, I'd love to connect with you. You can find this podcast on Instagram. We are Why Is Everyone Yelling Over There? We have a Facebook group as well. And my personal Instagram is lindsayhines626. Thanks for being here. Have a great rest of your day. And we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?